this episode of the Object Sharp podcast, JR chats with Object Sharp's app dev lead, Dave Judd, about Microsoft's latest open source web framework, Blazor. Plus, Dave shares his thoughts on the developer experience for .NET, React, and Angular developers. Welcome to the Object Chart Podcast. This time we have Dave Judd in the hot seat. Welcome, Dave. Hello. Talking all about Blazor today. Fascinating. Yet another technology out there for all of us to, uh, you know, need to understand, need to learn, need to do all of these things. So, um, as I did uh, the last time when I was speaking with uh, with Mike Walker on a previous episode, why don't we start off with like, just give me the lowdown. Like what's the general stuff that I need to know about Blazor that you can save me hours of reading documentation about? Sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I was doing a bit of research because I, I heard about Blazor what I thought was just a couple of years ago, but it ended up being three and a half years ago. And it started as an experiment. Steve Sanderson, one of the bright guys at Microsoft, he, he brought us like Knockout JS and a couple of other frameworks. Um, he came up with the crazy idea of, can I use this new technology standard in browsers called WebAssembly and actually write C-sharp code that can execute you know, in the browser? So he hacked at it for a weekend, I think, put together a POC, um, showed it to a couple of guys on the mono team and got some help, put it together. And yeah, they had this working kind of spa-ish single page application. Don't mean to throw acronyms out here. Single page application running completely um, you know, using .NET code, right? And so that was just an experiment. He had no idea if people would, you know, like it or use it, but it kind of took off. It was like this aha moment of, wow, we can actually do this in WebAssembly. So it got incubated by the ASP.NET Core team and they called it experimental. And so many people were downloading it during the experiment phase that they um, open sourced the whole thing and then it became community driven. But to kind of circle back, what is Blazor? Blazor is a modern um, UI web application framework, right? So, and why is that important? Well, really we haven't had anything new from a Microsoft perspective in that sort of arena for quite a while, right? I think even with .NET Core, you were still limited to MVC and doing web APIs with MVC. That's probably something you might be familiar with. Yep, that was back uh, in the day when I was still doing development. <laughs> right, so it's a little bit above ASP.NET, right? The, you know, your, your ASP.NET Classic, then we got MVC and it's kind of evolved. I'm not, it's not a bad tech or anything, um, but it's server side, completely 100%. So. Um, you know, you're posting requests to a server, you do some stuff, you do model binding and you ship back, you know, a full page response, right? So what happened over the years is that single page application frameworks came out and they've been dominated by JavaScript and TypeScript, right? So React, Angular, and Microsoft didn't really have a good answer to those problems. So they embraced, you know, how do we work really well with .NET and TypeScript. And it was fundamentally an API strategy. We'll do your .NET thing 
on the API side, make it really fast, but all the front end stuff is a completely new stack, um, new build tools, right? Um, new ecosystems. So, uh, you know, it created this partition in the dev environment within a company is you'd have front end developers and now you have back end developers and, you know, running dev teams, that's not ideal, right? So full stack development then became, I need to learn two completely new sets of technology, right? Um, the fundamental parts of the, of the framework are still standards driven. So it's, it's HTML is our presentation and our layout and CSS is what's making it pretty. But all the logic now, what Blazor allowed us to do is write all the logic in C Sharp and in .NET and use one build system. It allows us to share code between the client and the server, right? So, cause it's one language, one ecosystem. Um, and yeah, it's become a pretty productive tool, right? So if we kind of fast forward now through, you know, what Steve Sanderson initially built to what we have today, um, they found out pretty quickly WebAssembly in the early days, so about a year and a half ago, wasn't ready for prime time, but they came up with this really smart component architecture, which Blazor is, is uh, built upon. So everything on your page is a component. You're comprising your application as a series of reusable components, right? And that's what React did. Um, and then what they did is they abstracted out the rendering of those components to, you know, different technologies. So one is WebAssembly that runs natively in your browser as envisioned by Steve Sanderson. And the second is called Blazor server-side rendering, which uses SignalR, another tech to trap the changes in the browser, like you clicking, that event gets sent back to the server those components are re-rendered and it only sends back the delta, the difference in the state. So it's a really quick trip um, and it allows you to scale out pretty well because you can take advantage of the, the cloud to do all your rendering. So yeah, it's, it's really neat because you use the same programming model to target both kind of native mobile, not native, but more um, close to the browser type single page applications and you can do server side rendering applications at the same time, but same, same framework, same tech. That's awesome because one of, one of the reasons, and I mean, it, it sounds bad to admit this out here in, in public, but one of the reasons why I got out of development was I was that backend developer, right? right? And as soon as, you know, all of this stuff started going on on the, on the front end, building UIs and so I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got, there's so much, so much to learn. And then every other week or every other, every other month, there was a new framework to learn and stuff. Like, and I'm just like, I can't, right. I was, yeah. I was your traditional backend developer. Give me C sharp, give me all of these things. Amazing. And then all of these newer texts were coming out and I'm just, I, I couldn't keep up. So it's awesome to hear that now it's kind of um, coming back and me, maybe just maybe I will be able to come back to development. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, that, that was the one thing what, what kind of prompted me to talk to you about this today is that, um, you know, I'm very com comfortable with React and, and Angular, and I do think they have their place, like they're, they're good frameworks, I'm not here to, to knock them, but um, working with Blazor now on two, two three different commercial projects, I, I feel very at home and comfortable again, like, 
it's there's something nice about using a single package manager, for example. I, I can use NuGet. I, I trust NuGet. I know the packages up there are usually pretty high quality, right? Um, I can use that on now the server and the client, right? It's one package management system in both places. I'm not using, say, NPM or Yarn on the, the front end and then using NuGet on the back end. So that right. that's really nice. And then the whole debug experience is, for me, it's now unified, right? So if my back end and, and my front end are written in one stack, you know, just hitting F5 in Visual Studio, I can debug both the front end code and the back end code seamlessly, right? So I'm not debugging the front end and say VS code, and then that hits a breakpoint, and then I switch over into another window to debug the, the back end, right? So what's interesting is that, I guess, from a, a JavaScript perspective, that's why Node.js became pretty popular because they wanted to use one tech to do both the back end and front end. So since all your front end frameworks were JavaScript or TypeScript related, then why not start building out our back end using JavaScript? So they've had that unified stack for quite a bit. And I think now Microsoft, um, you know, has a pretty good solution in place, right? So, um, yeah. So is that why you would say that, you know, like with, with, with Blazor coming in now is like, that's, that's probably the reason why it's a big deal, right? Like it's just. Yeah. It, well, it's a big deal and it's been picked up and it's done using the same tech. So dependency injections done the same way, all the things that we use on the back end, they've incorporated in, you know, to the front end, like the configuration system. So you do have a little bit of a lower learning curve. And, and I think they've looked at what works well in React and what works well in Angular, and they've copied some of those concepts over, right? Have a very smart, you know, simple router. Everything else is a component. They have this concept called styled components too. So you can keep all your CSS in isolation because, you know, CSS ends up going everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's just become a, a pretty smart, um, easy to use framework, right? And um, the open source communities embraced it and all of the component vendors that we were used to seeing, like your Telerik and your WebR, they all have all these component libraries now built for Blazor, right? So building a line of business application, you could make the decision to not do all the custom CSS, but just go out, grab the Telerik Blazor control set, and you get 40 controls that you can use out of the box to uh, piece together your application, right? So it, it's, you know, it's pretty um, productive from the beginning. Nice. Well, so if we're already on productivity, then what, like, how would you describe the the developer experience with it, right? So, um, you know, I'm thinking tooling, I'm thinking, yeah. um, you know, just in terms of, you met, you've mentioned before debugging and stuff like that. So what does that look like from a development perspective? And how is it different than the kind of developer experience that you've been having re like prior to Blazor? Um, you know, compare and contrast for me. Yeah, so the biggest difference is, as I said, you're, you're gonna be doing everything now in one kind of tool, right? So your, your, your API and, and your front end, or if you're using server-side rendering, it's just one system, right? It's one backend system that, that nice. you're building. So um, it's, you know, if you're a VS Code guy or you're a Visual Studio guy, you're staying in that one place to do your debugging. Um, there are, you know, it's not 100% 
perfect yet, like hot reloads not there. And I love that in React. So as I'm coding, I hit Control S, my changes are up on the screen instantly without having to rebuild. With Blazor, there is support for that coming, but it's it's still in preview, right? That being said, the recompilation, you just hit the button a couple seconds later, it does refresh up, but you have that step of having to, to rebuild. So um, it's good, not as good yet as where React is. Um, but yeah, the the just being in .NET, you know, using the strongly typed language, which I like using, um, I would say I'm more efficient in C sharp than I am in say TypeScript and, and JavaScript. So that's great. That type of productivity gain is there. Um, and then the you, you forget that you know you're doing a lot of say validation on the client side. So models and model validation, those same classes that you're using to build the UI, you can use in your API. So you're not double coding. So Nice. Pretty common error that you have um, today is someone makes a change to the API. They don't go in and change the front end code because they're two completely different build systems and something breaks. That's fine. It happens, right? If you're building it within the same system, when you hit build your front end, your razor class, it just shows up that it's broken right there and then. There's no having to wait at runtime to find that out. So, um, you know, that's pretty nice as well. Um, I'd say the one thing that's interesting is that, you know, we've seen this before from Microsoft with things like Silverlight and other tech. Is this going to stick? I was, I was thinking literally the exact same right now. I'm like, all of these things sound amazing, but yet it's another technology that we're adding in. Is it going to be a repeat? Right. And, and, you know, I personally don't think it's going to be because it's got... I guess three things behind it. One, it's completely standards-based, whereas Silverlight required a Microsoft-specific plugin. So Chrome had to support the plugin. I remember. Now we're using HTML5, we're using CSS3, and we're using WebAssembly. WebAssembly is not owned by Microsoft, okay? So we're using standard, or Microsoft decided to use standard parts of the stack. Those aren't going away. They're helping evolve those. Sure, they were always doing that, but um, it doesn't require any third-party plugins. And then I think the the second thing why I think it's going to stick this time is that there's new renderers coming out. So for example, there's ones that can target Xamarin. So now using the same framework and coding model that I'm, I'm using and comfortable doing the server side, doing the web assembly, I can now target and build a mobile or a native right. mobile app, right? And now there's desktop bindings that are out. So now I can build a Windows app or a Linux app or a Mac app, right? So what, what I'm seeing them do is kind of evolve the tech. And the other, the other I guess, reason behind it might be the community. You see it's it's very active. There's pull requests going through. There's feature requests. It's it's there, and um, I think there was more changes and enhancements to Blazor in .NET five than any other part of ASP.NET Core. So, okay. for the for the short term, I I think it's it's pretty safe. Um, and we've now used it commercially twice, like you know, in client engagements that are now live um, using both the server side and the, the PWA style, right? The, the WebAssembly side. So um, 
yeah, it's easy to switch back and forth, but yeah, I've done, you know, commercial work with it. It's out there, it's live, it's, it's um, performing really well. And the clients are very happy with the, the end result. And both of these clients were .NET shops. So to them, it was, oh, great. Uh, you know, I was worried if you were going to come in and recommend a React system, how am I going to support it moving forward? Well, they already had some .NET experience and um, feel a bit better. Um, but that being said, that's not going to teach, you know, a backend developer how to do CSS, right? <laughs> I was sort of kind of getting excited. I'm just like, yeah. all these things that I wouldn't want to worry about. And okay, fine. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I, it's not going to teach you, uh, you know, how, how should I lay out my page using Flexbox? Or if I need my page to be reactive so it's wide, you know, on a big screen, big 4K monitor, but then how's it going to look on my narrow phone, right? Like right. that sort of stuff, like that's what being a front-end developer is, you know, understanding the CSS, but, um, you know, not having to do the logic, the binding and the logic and all that, that's very familiar to the, to the .NET people. So, um, you know, what I've done on the projects is, is I've had kind of the, the .NET backend guys go as far as writing all the handlers and the logic and, you know, making calls to the repository and the database. And then myself or another front-end developer will go in and, and do some of the HTML and the CSS for them, right? Help out that way. But uh, uh, yeah, there's no magic there in terms of, it doesn't, I mean, I guess, JR, if you look at it this way, if you do, if you stick to bootstrap, it can, there's two ways it can come out. It can come with like a, a material design kind of view. You can, you can go that route or you could stick to bootstrap and then it'll look like every other site that's using bootstrap. Or you can start looking at, like I said, the third party control libraries that are coming out and there's tons of them. There's open source ones, there's commercial ones. So maybe you're not spending as much time doing all the, you know, layout of everything because you're following the, the way that those component libraries are telling you to, to lay the components out. So yeah, maybe you don't need to be a CSS wizard to build say a line of business app, but um, depends who's giving you the design. Let's say that. Yeah. And like we work, uh, you and I both work with uh, someone who is very specific about his CSSs, right? So. Yeah, and his design, right? So, um, love you, Al. If you're if you're listening, <laughs> um, now as you're as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself. I'm like, okay, so a lot of this is going to sound like it's it, a lot of familiarity, a lot of that. Awesome. So, what is the ramp up? Like what, what does that look like for, for a developer, both let's say, let's say from a, a .NET developer like me, what's the ramp, ramp up? And then maybe, um, you know, like you were mentioning, like the more the front end developers, the React folks, all that kind of stuff. What, what does that journey look like for, um, you know, if you, if that's what you're working with today to start working with Blazor? Right. So I guess your starting point is going to be understanding what they call the application programming model. So, how is my application kind of bootstrapped, right? How does configuration plug into it? Um, how do I set up reusable services? So it's kind of got a, a good familiarity with, you know, an ASP.NET web API. And I think they did that on purpose because that's kind of who they're, they're targeting. So, or MVC in that, in that case, right? But then it's wrapping your head around, well, what is an application? Okay, an application is a series of pages 
each page has a route. That's how I hit that, right? So it's kind of understanding the fundamental structure of what a Blazor app is. And when do I start splitting that page into components, right? Do I just wait until it's very, very long and then I componentize it? Or, you know, I guess kind of understanding the patterns around what makes sense to be a good component. It's something that I'm reusing all over the place, something that I don't want to have to style over and over again. Right. Um, and then there's all the things with developing an app. So how do I do my state management? Okay, so someone clicks a button and a counter is going off. Am I storing that in memory? Am I storing that to a database, right? Um, you know, in the front end, maybe we're storing it to um, like an index database or to local storage. Like all of those things, you still need to figure out what does what that pattern look like in Blazor, right? How do we do file uploads? How do we, um, and then I guess to take it a step further is do I need to understand the differences of those things when I'm doing a PWA in, in WebAssembly versus the server side rendering? Right. The good news is, is no, they've unified that. So you can target both. There are a little bit of differences, right? Where when you're on the server side, for example, you can directly talk to a database because you're on the server. When you're on the client, you can't. You got to make a call back to the server, which will then make the call to the database. So um but yeah, the programming model in terms of laying out your components, of routing, of doing state, of doing dependency injection, that's unified across the both. And that's that's your starting point. That's what you got to go in, understand that model. But the hello world example of the template that comes out, it's a pretty good starting point. They show you how to do state, they show you how to do handlers, they show you how to get data, right? And then there's tons of examples in their GitHub, um, you know, to kind of expand on that as well. Um, there's really good, um, blogs out there. There's two of them we can put in the, in the show notes for this, um, that I use extensively and, um, they both now have blazer kind of open source libraries that you can use as well. So, um, lots of good help out there. And I found the learning curve to be quite easy because the, the Razor syntax is the same that we've been using in Razor pages previously. So how you do binding and things like that, that's, that's a crossover for you. Um, it's just understanding the component life cycle. Like when does it render? When did it, you know, start up? Is there an uninitialized event? All those sorts of things um, you, you have to go through and, and pick up, but it, it's not a, it's not a very hard or, or big learning curve. For me, it was easier to pick that up than to say, go learn React. <laughs> right, because it's substantially different. Yeah, right. Now, you asked me the reverse question. That's that's actually a tricky one to answer because a React developer understands UI and UI structure and, and component architecture and state management, but they're doing everything with TypeScript. They tend not to know C-sharp at all. So could a React developer come over and, and be efficient? Well, they would have to invest time learning .NET, but where they could help is on the CSS and the Razor layer, because right. that's all just HTML with some special syntax plus, you know, CSS is CSS. So, you know, maybe a, a front end, someone that's doing the, the front end work could focus more on the layout and composition of the app and your, your .NET developers would focus on the, the logic around it. Um, but yeah, a React guy can't come over and start doing Blazor by themselves if they don't know C-sharp, 
right? Kind of like how I can't go work on the front end if I don't learn CSS. <laughs> you don't learn CSS or if you don't learn TypeScript or, or JavaScript, it, you're, yeah, right? So what I love about that though, from what you're saying is that, um, cause I remember back when, you know, when you're, when you're putting together a team, you're, you're developing together and stuff like that. There was always a, in the instances where it's kind of like you're doing everything all on one or the other, it's kind of like, well, you know, at some point, either you've split the teams apart or there's some people kind of just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. What's really cool about what you were just saying is that now there's, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an additional benefit. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a selling feature of using Blazor, but it does enable the, a team, a development team to work in a new way whereby you can actually get a lot of things done faster because you're working on the same thing, but different aspects of it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the server side part of it too, to think about being back on the server and, you know, being able to, like I say, talk to databases, read files, because you are actually on the server at this point, and you're only sending back those deltas, it saves you from building out a REST API. So you don't have to build a REST API for every project now, right? Because that was the go-to model is, um, got my front end, going to do my authentication, going to start making REST calls to the back end, get all the data, right? That's your standard way of doing it. Now I can build a pretty high performing UI, you know, relying on SignalR to do the communication without having to expose a REST API because not you don't want to do that every time, right? So um, that's what I found. We, we used the server-side product on, you know, on a team. They were a .NET team coming from MVC, so it was a, a natural evolution for them. They were like, wow, yeah, we thought we were going to have to spend all this time designing a REST API. How should it look? We need swagger, all these things, right? And they're like, oh, we can just write our code. In some cases, they ported some of their existing services and started using them because it's just .NET. Right. right? And That's awesome. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I never talked about that is that um, shops that have their business logic already in assemblies that they're using across apps, they can just plug into Blazor and start using, right? That's, again, that's another thing you can't do with, with say, React on, on the front end. Um, unless you have your business logic written in JavaScript or something like that. But, you know, in the .NET shops, they they tend to have a lot of assemblies already written that have their logic encapsulated. What nicer way to start using it than to just inject it in through a package manager and just start using it, right? So, um, yeah, that was an added benefit as well. Um, I want to ask you about earlier, you had mentioned the the two modes, right? The the PWA, the server side and stuff like that. Um, question number one is what's the difference? I mean, you mentioned one runs client side, one runs server side, but what else? And then yeah. also I was wondering as you were talking about it, like you mentioned it's easy to switch back and forth, but what does that actually look like to switch back and forth? Right, so technically it's easy to switch back and forth, but once you go down a path, so Blazor will work, Blazor is Blazor, but your service layer will look a little bit different in one versus the other. So the way that we structure our Blazor apps right now is there's the concept of services. Services job is to go get data, you know, do some business logic, right? Um, So the interface to that service will remain consistent. So when we're writing our UI, 
we are injecting the, we write our UI to that interface, not the implementation. This is a little bit technical, but this is how you do it. So um, you're using this concept called dependency injection. Right. And the UI will work the same on the client and the server as long as you use those interfaces. The difference would be the implementation. So let's, on the server side, for example, I can go to the database directly. I've talked about that. So um, it would go and get the data and then just return it. So that would be kind of a SQL implementation of the service. Whereas in the, the PWA, well, it's probably going to be making a REST call to go get the data. So it would have its own implementation of that service. But the fundamental UI technology is the same, okay. right? How you're going and getting your data is different. Now you asked me why you'd use one versus the other. So a couple of cases for the server side. So server side, I find is a little bit easier to get up and running and going. Um, but the main benefits, because it's all rendered, pre-rendered on the server for public facing sites that want SEO and things like that, it's there. So you can index, you can crawl the site. Um, it's rendered ahead of time, right? The So it can scale out really well because we can scale out in the cloud, right? It's not a problem. Um, and then SignalR is the comm channel that's distributing kind of the changes back and forth. And SignalR scales out really well in the cloud as well. It's now kind of a, a service that you can just plug into. The downside of it is it requires a constant internet connection. Because when I click the button in the browser, it's transmitting an event back right. to the server. And then I got it. So it's chatty, right? It's very small and optimized. So it's not a lot of data, but it's consistent data. Every time a mouse over event, every time I click, everything in this event that's trapped and transferred over the network, computed and then returned. So that, that's the downside. So then that brings me to the PWA mode is, let's say you want to build an app that has offline support, right? So it's an app on, the, on a phone that you install to the home screen, or it's an app that you spin up in the browser and use kind of like Trello. It just works offline, whether you're connected or not. Next time you're connected, it syncs the changes up. Yep. If you need offline support, if you have background processing going on, then, then you're going to use the WebAssembly uh, mode. It's less chatty. So instead of transmitting the data back to the server all the time, it's transmitting um, you know, the handlers working in WebAssembly. So it's a very short circuit, right? It's it's very quick. When you click the button, it goes to WebAssembly, when the WebAssembly processes it and sends it back, and then you're using REST calls to talk back, right? But if you build your PWA code properly using like local storage and things like that, then yeah, it can totally work offline, right? So you're capturing changes, you save them locally, and when it comes back online, it pushes the data back to the server. So, um, does it handle yeah. all of that all of that on its own or that's something that you kind of like as part of the framework or is that something that you have to go in there and, and manually do yourself? You have to manually do that yourself. There's no sync service. There are a few out there that you can use, but that's not part of the Blazor ecosystem. There's some third-party ones that do it. Um, and what they do is they rely exactly what I said. It detects if there's a network. If there is, it pushes the changes. If there's not, it's pushing them and saving them in local storage, right? So yeah, that's not there out of the box. But if, yeah, I'd say you're going to go the PWA, the WebAssembly um, renders, if you want that more offline kind of um, native feel to the application. Whereas 
I'd say for standard like line of business applications, the server side is probably adequate because what you're using them on an internal network most of the time. Right. The network's going to be there, so it's going to be quick. It's not like you're paying for bandwidth all the time, too, right? You're inside your internal network, so uh, good use case for it there. Yeah, and and also you had mentioned the uh, public facing sites and stuff like that. Yeah. You definitely want to go server side for the all of the SEO stuff and. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's, yeah, if it's truly public facing, like say a shopping cart application, we've built one of those with it. You want all of your catalog to be indexed by Google. Right. And so now it has the ability to, to go through and do that. Nice. Um, Yeah. Nice. So So you you keep mentioning, um, so now I'm super curious because you keep mentioning about, you know, you've done, you've done, you had mentioned a, a shopping experience. You've done some other commercial products. Um, you know, obviously, once someone gets used to working with it and stuff like that, you're going to do your document, you're going to read your documentation, you're going to try to follow suit, and then something's going to break and then, you know, go try to figure all these things out. What are some of the things that you kind of discovered along the way as you were building these client applications, as you were doing your own research, um, that we can share here that would sort of save hours for, for people listening to be like, oh. You hire me to come in and do it, right? Okay. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, hire you to come look at the stuff that's important, which is actually to build the thing, not troubleshoot. Yeah, no, I mean, the the there is a little bit of a learning curve when it comes to setting up components and then parameter passing down kind of the component chain. So, there's this, this thing called cascading parameters, wrapping your head around that. That was not easy the first time, right? So I can actually define a set of parameters at the top uh, inside this, call it, I don't know, frame or whatever, and they cascade down to any of the components inside. So I don't have to continually pass data between. Right. So that concept to me, you know, that I, it took me a while. Now that I've learned it and see why it's beneficial, it's kind of like the first thing that I go and set up, right? So how do we minimize the amount of data we're passing? Because otherwise you have one component passing data to another component passing data to another component when really they just want shared access to that data, right? So that was a little bit of a shift. Then the other shift too, or the, the other issue, you know, is just getting around not having the hot reload. So when do I have to compile the recompilation process there, right? But um, I know, let me see in terms of gotchas, like this is one of the times where, like I've always said, Microsoft's documentation is not always great. It's not always (laughs) up to date. This might be because Blazor is still relatively new, but the documentation actually is really quite good, right? It, um, It totally distinguishes between saying, hey, this is how you do it on the server side. Here's the changes you got to make if you're using it on the client side. Usually it's minimal, but there's just, you know, small things. So um, you are going to spend some time kind of wrapping your head around the documentation. But uh, like I haven't had a real gotcha. Okay, actually, there is a couple. One thing. You are in. There are a few cases where I've had to go back into JavaScript. Oh, Okay. Oh, right. The promise of C sharp only. Uh, there's been a couple of small cases where it's like they have this JS interrupt. I guess they knew it was inev- inevitable. Um, there is some good side effects, which I'll get to. But yeah, there were certain events that weren't being trapped by Blazor 
in its initial form they are now, but they weren't, that I could only trap in JavaScript. So that whole thing, you know, that, it's like, wow, I just bought into a tech that said I can write my whole thing in C sharp. Now I'm dropping back into JavaScript, I had to put a JavaScript file into build. So there is that got you. But then it kind of hit me that there are a ton of JavaScript components out there. There's a ton, let's be honest. There's a huge right. React uh, JavaScript ecosystem, Angular. So because the interop works really well, um, even on server side, it knows when to do it and render all that kind of stuff. Um, there were some cases where through the interop, I did plug in a third party JavaScript control because I just didn't want to write all of that stuff again, right? Yeah, so it's actually um, beneficial to be able to go back yeah. and forth. But it's like, I don't know, it feels dirty because it's like, yeah, I, I wanted to do it purely in C sharp and I couldn't. Um, so yeah, there's that right? Yeah, that was like back in the day when uh now I'm going like real back in the day. Remember um in the original ASP where you know you were gonna you would write some code in the in the bracket in like the, the greater than sign, the percent, and you'd write your ASP code, and then in there you would hard code your HTML that it would have to write out to the and I'm just like that to me felt dirty also. I totally yeah. just dated myself. I realized that. <laughs> um, but, you know, like when you're thinking, when you're saying that, I'm kind of like thinking, yeah, like back in the day when, you know, you embedded that stuff and you really just wanted to be able to just like write out the line properly. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess you got to wrap your head around when do I need to use JavaScript? Do I need to use it at all? Um, Another nice thing about those third-party libraries that I was talking about, if they've done a lot of that hard interop for you, they, they've know when to drop into JavaScript. So when you're using, say, the file dropper control, you're not doing any JavaScript again. It's all abstracted away. Um, but yeah, that, that was one of those things was, okay, I thought I was just going to be able to do all of this in C-sharp, but then boom, you get to the documentation and you're like, oh, what's this JavaScript interop thing? Of course, and then here's when you use that. So maybe... That's another area that, you know, you got to figure out when to use it. But yeah, the, the latest app we built was 100% C-sharp. It was a, a standardized shopping cart application. Um, you know, there's form validation. There's all the standard stuff that you would think of building with a shopping cart. And using the, the configuration system in .NET Core, we were able to make it so that this customer could deploy the same code but it had completely different look and feel and different things were displayed on the screen for different customers. So it's got a pretty nice dynamic configuration system built in as well. So nice. um, yeah, we'll have to see where it goes. I mean, .NET 6 is coming. It's already there, you know, starting to throw out what's coming in .NET 6. Um, from a Blazor perspective, I know they're looking at the desktop rendering. That's pretty neat. So that's a very, very thin um, browser control. Like not like Electron is there today and that's, you know, we use that to build apps, but it's 77 megs and you're basically embedding a version of Chrome. That's what Electron right. is in. And then you're writing a web app and deploying it on the desktop. This is a little different. It's using a very thin, light web control, the native web control that's available on the platform. So it uses Linuxes or it uses the Mac or it uses Edge, I think, in Windows. And it's a very thin download um, that comes with a web server and kind of the core Blazor components harnessed in, right? So 
Um, yeah, that's interesting because now, like I said, you can actually, you, you have more options now in terms of deploying out your, your Blazor um, skill set, right? It's not just web apps, not just mobile apps. It's, oh, we can build desktop apps with this now too, right? So um, that's awesome. Yeah, I like that, except now it's like there's two camps at Microsoft. There's the XAML camp, yeah, I was gonna say. okay? And they have Xamarin and they have WPF and, yep. and right? And now we have the Blazor camp. So it's like, um, there has never really been a good UI story. Um, and now both of them are trying to do everything. So it's gonna be, you know, we'll have to see who wins. Or healthy who healthy competition, play. healthy competition yeah. to build better products. <laughs> yeah. I I, pre, I actually prefer the the Blazor model. I've used both. I, I I like HTML and CSS as that you know description. But there are you know um, XAML purists that think that's the better platform. But to me, that one's proprietary. It's it's Microsoft's way of describing a UI, whereas the other one is um, standards based. So and even from a, like so forget even just from a, from an applications perspective but from a developer as a from a career perspective you want to be focusing on the things that are not necessarily proprietary right not to say that you know it would be at any like in any way kind of career limiting or anything like that but when you have that broad set um you know and standards kind of like how you uh, yeah. spoke about it originally then anything's open right yeah, well, you'll probably find it easier to, you know, find a resource that knows CSS or HTML because it is that open standard, right? So, um, and I, yeah, I just found more at home with the programming model than than the XAML approach. But again, that's just my opinion. I'm not bashing one tech, but uh, um, yeah, it's Blazor is expanding. It's not shrinking. So. I guess as long as Microsoft is continually adding features and the community's picking it up, um, yeah, seems like a, a good way to go. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, for people listening to this podcast or you know out in the community, what ends up being the uh, you know the general feeling towards this kind of stuff to see whether they're as enthusiastic yeah. as you are or you know who knows. That's the beauty of bringing in new technology, right? Like you never know, you never know where it's going to go. Um, there was one last thing that I wanted to to get your okay. thoughts on before we close for this episode, which was in your experience and again building this um, Blazor apps for clients or even evaluating whether Blazor makes sense or not. Were there any situations where, in your mind, you were like, "No, definitely not Blazor for a Oh yeah, yeah. So. Um... I would say that uh, a company that already has an established front-end practice with React and Angular, and they have that stack, so their build pipelines are already set up to use Gulp and you know all the JavaScript things. That like, if you have that, there's no compelling reason to mm-hmm. shift back to doing everything in .NET. Like, right. some people think JavaScript's evil. I, I'm not one of those. I just think you know, C sharp. I, I just personally like strongly typed language better. You, um, you know, TypeScript kind of blurs that line. But yeah, if you already have that kind of established pattern, maybe you already have tons of components built in your company, then yeah, it, it might not make sense. Like we we just did that with a gig and we, we kind of said, look, you, you guys know what you're doing on this side. You're comfortable there. Why don't we focus our energy on making your API 
layer, a little bit more efficient, a little bit more modern. So we modernized the API kind of side of it. And, you know, we could have introduced Blazor, but it was like, you already have a, a well-established UI and a, a practice around it. So I'd say in those cases, probably doesn't make sense, but a really good place, kind of flipping your question on the side, like, do you have an aging MVC or ASP.NET application? Now you actually have a viable reason or option to stay on .NET, whereas kind of a couple of years ago, what you were looking at was building a React or, or Angular um, replacement for it, right? Um, or just sticking with MVC, because MVC's kind of evolved along the way, but if you wanted that true spa-like um, experience, then you, you were kind of forced to go that way. But now you have a, a modernization option on the, on the on the .NET side, right? So that's awesome because actually I, yeah. I remember being a scrum master for a dev team where you know we were having these conversations back and forth and and ultimately the decision was to stick to the old stuff, you know, MVC and, and whatever, because it was there and it was working and there was no compelling case to modernize it. Right. Um, you know, because there was no option other than rewriting it, right? So yeah. Um, I suspect that now with this being a possibility that if we were to replay that conversation with, you know, with the team having that, uh, you know, deliberating whether they modernize or they don't, I suspect that now it would be a different, if it would be a different discussion. Yeah. And it's not an all or it's not like a one shot thing because MVC can still, well, assuming you can upgrade your aging MVC app to at least the new version of MVC. So .NET Core MVC then you can run Blazor server-side and your MVC app um, side-by-side. So some of the newer features and newer pages, they'd hop into a Blazor experience. And then when you click on certain links, they would just go back to the traditional MVC page. So you're hopping in and out, but it's one, right? So you can kind of slowly evolve the app instead of having to do a, a rewrite all in one shot. Awesome. It's, a, it's actually, it's great to have that option. Yeah. Like often, all, all too often, you have to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. All right. Well, I think that's, um, I think we've covered it all. We've covered it from the beginning, like in a whole wide circle, looking at it from both the technology perspective, from the developer perspective, from um, the business case perspective. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us, Dave. Um, I suspect that this will not be the last conversation that we have about Blazor here on the podcast. Um, so as it, you know, continues to grow and evolve and, uh, and maybe when, you know, like you said, when .NET 6 comes out, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll do a follow-up conversation and see what's uh, new and exciting. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for having so me. Much. This podcast is brought to you by Objecture. Whether migrating workloads to Azure or building net new cloud-native solutions, leveraging the power of PaaS, serverless, .NET, or the Power Platform, or implementing DevOps and Agile practices within teams or across the entire organization. Object Sharp has been helping companies with their digital transformations for over 20 years. Learn more at objectsharp.com or connect on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Object Sharp is a central object company.